Live from James Cameron's dreams, this is Austin Danger Podcast, Christmas on Pandora, week one. On today's extremely special episode, we will be returning to Pandora, where it all began with James Cameron's avatar. As always, I'm Kev. I'm joined, of course, by my dear friend, super producer extraordinaire, Mackenzie Wilkes. Hello. (laughs) I have an audience this time. (laughs) You know, we had to bring some friends along to celebrate this all-time classic. And who better than the preeminent sci-fi podcasters that we know, H and Jason, our friends from Dune Pod. Welcome to Austin Danger Podcast. I love to be preeminent. I'd be post-eminent, too. That sounds great. (laughs) I also like the fact that you actually only invited Jason, and then I just sort of invited myself. Okay. I glommed it on. Let's get into it. (laughs) You are are more than welcome to join. The conversation just happened to include Jason. That's unusually gracious. Like we had been talking about it. I was specifically asked. I said, absolutely would love to. And then H said, of course, I would like to as well, as though anyone had asked. And now Kev has to pretend as though that was, of course, fine. No problem. But it is fine. You just can't get rid of this guy. <laughs> it's Of course, it's fine. It's it's great. It's, it's an honor to be here. I'll tell you. What I needed more in my life these two weeks is more time recording podcasts with age. That's, That's true. It would have been nice to have a little break, maybe, to talk to someone else on a podcast. But instead, <laughs> let's just make it six in the two span weeks. of like 10 days. Mm-hmm. Just always looking at this dude. And you're just, you know, on the on the parody version of Dune Pod too. So it really it's really fitting, you know. Yes. Mm. The That's levels right. within levels. Mm-hmm. You called us something, Kevin, a DM, and I can't remember what it was. You were like, we are the blank version of Dune Pod. And it oh. was the funniest DM ever. And I can't remember what you said. Yeah, we're the stoner comedy of Dune Pod. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we're nice. the stoner comedy of Dune Pod. Yes, yes. That's yes. good. You know, good. you guys really drill down into these movies. We have more of a kind of lighthearted, fun time. We focus on studio comedies. You guys started with stuff related to Dune, but have now branched out to uh, any re- movie really is is up for grabs between about 1971 and present day, right? Which is oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like to think that we're just like the West Coast Austin Danger pod. Like we're mm-hmm. like sort of yeah. like the California pizza kitchen to your Sabaros. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. So, so guys, truthfully, while we share an audience a lot with the tape deck shows, you guys and 70 millimeter, et cetera, and we're happy to, and welcome if you're here from, from those shows, we also have a bunch of friends who aren't so familiar with Dune Pod. So if mm-hmm. you could kind of let us know what Dune Pod is. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, so, silly. so again, we started at uh, early pandemic days, and I tricked Jason into joining the podcast. Um, he agreed to do a guest host, uh, and then I was like, well, let's do one, and if it's good, we'll keep going. And essentially, we were obsessed with the new Denis Villeneuve film that was meant to be coming out in eight months. And so we started doing all the films of the cast and crew, uh, so Timothy Chalamet and Denis himself, uh, and Josh Brolin, Oscar Isaac, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya. Like, there's just so much great material there. And then we would go from there, as you said earlier, kind of off to anything that we think really matches. And a particular focus on 80s sci-fi uh, kind of classic. We've done a lot of kind of exploring that well. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. I am uh, the genie trapped in a bottle of this particular <laughs> podcast. 
and one day I will be set free. <laughs> well, I feel you like wish. I feel like there's a uh, there's a fifty for H two for Jason per year deal here. Yes. If the yes, Rounders episode the recently is any indication, people should go check that that's out. That's right. That's mm. right. Thank you for that. Thank you for that plug. <laughs> people are like, I've gotten so many notes from people from the Rounders episode. It's like, wow, I didn't know that you could experience joy. <laughs> like, it's amazing. <laughs> It's amazing to hear you talk about something where it doesn't sound like you want to be killed, which I understand is a quality that people really hope for in their podcast hosts is just <laughs> someone who's just like, you know, stumbling through life, hoping to be put out of their misery at any time. I, I'm sorry we had to have Ryan Condo come and talk about the Terminator. That was <laughs> yeah. really painful. Yeah. Uh, so I that's know. the other thing is that you guys, the guys, of course, they have a guest come in every week and sometimes it's been us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mackenzie on Mahal and Drive and Bound yeah. and me on... Your choice, H. Southland Tales. You asked for Tales. And Elvis Mm -hmm. most recently. And uh, the guests have ranged from... Real Oscar contender, Elvis. Yes. That's right. We'll get to that in a moment. Somehow, somewhere. Hound dog. But but the guests have ranged from like us to your friends on the Tape Deck Network to uh, people from the Obama administration. Dave Itzkoff, my favorite from the New York Mm -hmm. Times. How has that been for you guys? It's stressful, uh, <laughs> as most things in life are, to be perfectly honest, uh, for me, uh, because like, you know, like for if for no other reason, like you always got to have like this, like technical support element of right. like, getting people, you know, on the pod. There's a lot of like scheduling changes because like obviously recording a genre science fiction podcast with us is not exactly at the top of everyone's list. It's always surprising when people actually show up. Um, but it's, it's delightful. It's been great. Like we've been super blessed to have the guests that we've had. Um, and like, you know, the other thing too, is like some, like, I think also like the thing that makes an interesting person, like someone who has like an interesting life and the thing that makes an interesting podcast guest are, are sometimes intersecting, but not necessarily. Right. And so like, sometimes you get really lucky, like the episode that will come out when people hear this is three days of the condor with Ben Rhodes. Ben is like also a podcaster, but like he, you know, he's deputy national security advisor. He ha- he's like an amazing podcast guest. Like he's very well studied. He had a lot of things to say about the movie. He'd done his research and stuff like that. Um, but like you know, like it's not a format that's for it's not a format that's for everyone. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a whole thing. I don't know. H loves it. He loves producing. He just can't <laughs> stop himself from getting guests. We've got, we're booked out to like May of 2024 at this point. <laughs> no, I've held back. We're only we're only booked uh, into February. I, I've been kind of slow rolling it, uh, getting in the new year. The the other thing I would say it's it's been incredible. The people that we've met and and the folks that have come on. And we always just try and find something that people are passionate about. So Mackenzie coming on to talk about David yes. Lynch. Um, or uh, showgirls, like those were real <laughs> highlights uh, for us. And so we always try and do that. The other thing I'll give a shout out for folks to check out, we have an incredible discord and a great community that has grown up around it. Mm-hmm. We do live recordings every week. We watch the movies every week in the Chuckle Hut uh, where people watch and, and chat along. So I would say if, you're, if you've never tried Dune Pod, give a listen to any of the episodes that Kevin McKenzie uh, have done. Just mm-hmm. choose your favorite movie. Um, and then Southland yeah. Tales, obviously. Well, <laughs> Showgirls, equally yeah. magnificent, yeah. Yeah, the Showgirls one is an excellent is an excellent episode. That is mm. a really fun. That is a really fun one. That's um, true. Yeah, but yeah, we hope you check us out. We love what Mackenzie and Kev are doing, and uh, we're happy to be here. We love you yeah. guys, and truly, we, we couldn't we could we love you guys. We couldn't have done it without you guys, and you know, Dune Pod 
Real Doom Pod listeners, of course, will stick around for the letter segment. You get to hear me every week on that show as well. So, yeah, yes. hell yeah. By yeah. hook or by crook, I got to do the Terminator Two question after this recording. So before we uh, before we kind of shift focus here to Avatar, I wanted to follow up on something that Jason said on the Three Days of the Condor episode of Dune Pod that went up last night. Mm. Uh, during the Dune News segment, H played a clip from an episode of Happy, oh, Sad, Jesus. Confused featuring Austin Butler. And mm. Austin Butler is very much in his Academy Awards campaigning mode. Mm. And <laughs> the quote here from Jason verbatim, if he does fade this way, I blame Kev. Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm so mad. I feel you instantiated this whole like thing into my life. Like I like I like I both blame you for the casting of Austin Butler in Elvis and then the casting of apparently just we're getting Elvis as Fade in Dune Part 2. It's all your fault. But but how much of it is me and how much of it is all of the people at WB who are now fired because Zaslav came in? Who yeah, greenlit Elvis exactly. in the first place. And how much of it I, I is mean, the fault of Denis Villeneuve, the visionary who we all love? For all I know, you are the puppet master behind all of that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, it's unclear. It's unclear to me, like, where the where the red string stops. But I, I, I don't I, I'm not letting you off the hook so easily. We're not blaming, like, faceless corporate overlords when, like, the likely culprit <laughs> is sitting in a in a zoom screen right now. Occam's razor. Yeah, uh, it's Kev. Yeah, I it's interesting. So Kev, you called out that in that the course of that podcast, his accent kind of uh fluctuates a little bit. Yes. Um, and I think part of it is when he starts talking about Elvis, like something in his brain just shifts gears and it like he can't help but extract. And I'm not surprised if you live two and a half years like completely embedded in this role, like, yeah, that's gonna leave after effects. Um he looks great. He's a super nice guy. He seems very committed. Um, so I'm pro Austin. I'm anti Jason on this one. Like I, I think Austin is going to be great. I am very excited to see him in this. I, you know, it's rare for me to stand a man, but I do like Austin Butler. I think, mm. and and I understand that, like what you just said. Like I'm from the South, and I don't think I necessarily sound Southern. But uh-huh. in about a week and a half, when I'm in Tennessee, I'm gonna be right. talking like this. Like right. it's gonna be thick because when you're around mm-hmm. it or when you're thinking of it, yeah, I feel uh-huh. like it. It comes out in ways you can't control. I also think it's silly, but I don't care. He's cute, and I like it. It's gravelly, you know. <laughs> I love it. I'm really interested to see what he's gonna look like as Fade. Yes, like yes. that's. I need to know what the look is. Are we getting diapers and orange hair, or are we getting something else? We're getting a sequined uh, jumpsuit with a big cape. And he's going to be out there just like, you know, who is the little one? Someone deserving of my special attentions? I, I mean, honestly, the big question for me is, are they going to shave his head and kind of mm. do like the typical yeah. Harkonnen look? Or are they going to give us like, you know, hunky fade? Um, or will that just be the new hunky fade? Will be like people will get into that, that, uh, you know, bald shaved head look. He'll be the he'll he'll have all of the Harkonnen's hair. Instead of being bald, he'll just be like completely furry, like all over his body. Like a giant, it looked like a Wookiee. I will say, I think the Elvis voice thing is a classic snarl job. <laughs> yes. 
I think it's here. all a show for the elderly confused Academy voters, my boy. <laughs> He's like talking about how he can't go home to his family. He like had to sleep in like a fucking Elvis impersonators yes. like suitcase for three years. It's I mean, just it was like a, it wasn't a pandemic story. in Australia, so that's also the context. He was stranded that in Australia, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> Remember Good. Tom Hanks? The snowman himself got COVID during that filming. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. true. That was like See, the fr- I feel like that was the first big celebrity COVID that thing was patient, that everyone it was. freaked the fuck out sure. about. Yeah. yeah. Our that dad, had to during Tom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how Kev automatically also falls into the accent, you know, as soon as we start talking about <laughs> Elvis. It just... That's because Kev is the snowman. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, he mm-hmm. has been running game since, like, the fucking Chitlin circuit or whatever that, like, <laughs> you know, that he was like, you know, running performers down in the deep south is like this Dutch, you know, he's Dutch. Kev's Dutch. He's from another country. Mm. He avoided World War II. <laughs> he, like, he makes everyone think he's like 23 years old, but he's 123 years old. I'm ageless, my boy. You've never seen me and Colonel Tom Parker in the same room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the same casino, scurrying around like a rat. <laughs> uh, before we get into Avatar, I do have a piece of Austin news, if you want to humor me for a moment. Yeah, well, of course. Let's do it. whoop news. What does it all mean, Basil? Little piece of Austin news this week, nothing big. Mike Myers and his son made a rare appearance at the New York premiere of that new documentary about Abbey Road Studios. It's coming to Disney Plus oh. this week. Oh. Hmm. Was Mike Ro- is Mike Myers involved in for some reason? Is he just like famous? I think he he's just a friend. Guy. They invited a bunch of people oh, yeah. to the documentary. It's called If These Walls right. Could Sing. Looks fun. Hmm. All right. Uh, cool. so great. Not oh, even a go, meme. Mike. Not even a meme about Austin Powers this week. Uh, the world is quiet. <laughs> Mike came out of his house. That's our news, okay? (laughs) Speaking of Austin Powers, one last thing, guys. We haven't had a guest in a while. Our buddy Ian from the Cynonauts was on for Wayne's World, and we asked him this thing. Boo. Boo that man. I can't comment further on anything. (laughs) I can't comment further. Twitter customer Ian DeBorha, of course, as everyone knows. Um, yes, Twitter customer, paid verified, <laughs> paid verified Ian DeBorha. Paid De verified Borjas. Ian DeBorha. The eight dollars um, that changed your life. Yeah, that's that's a 2023 episode off the schedule. Once he hears hears that, uh, he was on, and we asked him his history with Austin Powers, like you guys do with your history with Dune. So, yes. in that spirit, what is your history with Austin Powers? Yes. I'll go first. I saw that shit in the theater for mm. sure. Uh, I think I was like the perfect. What year? What year did Austin Powers? What year did the first one come out? Ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. Uh, yeah, I was like prime. I was prime. Twenty-one, maybe a little old, but like still in the in the wheelhouse. Thought it was hilarious. Uh, no notes, just perfect. <laughs> Thought it was great. Loved it. I was in a big Mike Myers phase at that point, for sure. Like, I loved everything he did. Yeah, because Wayne, Wayne World was huge for me. Um, and, yeah, so, yeah, loved it. think it's great. I haven't seen – I've seen two, and I've seen Goldmember. Uh, is that all of them? Is there more than That's that? That's all. That's, That's it. All. I've seen yeah. them all. Okay, great. So, and, and I was a big Myers fan on SNL, uh, being a little bit older. So like I followed him through, uh, through that phase and then saw Wayne's world in the theaters, saw this in the theaters, uh, the first Austin powers and, and loved it. And I'll say for me, um, 
the second uh, way, like that was like way elevated to me. I thought that was really incredible. And and three had like such great aspects to it. And and then that just like there were elements that it was a little over the top mm-hmm. um, and, and, and a little much, but um, just really uh, definitely enjoyed it. Go Mike. Go Mike. That's the thing Go at the Mike. end of the day is that, mm-hmm. you know, we did part of the joke of the Austin pod of doing an Austin Powers show at all is that we will probably never see another Austin Powers product ever. Mm-hmm. But man, I would, I'd kill to see just one more, even if it's just Dr. Evil or something. Cause God knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An Austin Powers in this time is interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, guys, I think it's time. Avatar! It's 2154, and the natural resources of Earth have been depleted. A government group called the Resources Development Administration, or RDA, are currently mining a valuable mineral called unobtainium, very cleverly, on the moon of Pandora. Pandora is a lush planet of magnificent nature inhabited by blue-skinned humanoids called the Navi. Our hero Jake Sully is a wheelchair-bound ex-marine whose brother recently died as he was preparing to be a part of the Avatar program through the RDA. With the Avatar program, scientists match their genetics to Navi-human hybrids called Avatars, and through these Navi bodies, they can freely explore the jungles of Pandora. Jake is pulled in after his brother's death due to his matching genetics, though he has no training, much to the dismay of lead scientist Dr. Grace Augustine. On his first mission out, Jake is attacked by Pandoran creatures and is lost from the scientists' group, but thankfully saved by a native Navi woman named Neytiri. Neytiri believes that Jake is special and brings him to her clan where her mother, their spiritual leader named Moat, deems him worthy and orders Neytiri to integrate Jake into their society and teach them their ways. This is an amazing thing for the science team as they're able to reintegrate with the Navi people and learn more about their planet and customs, but head of security Colonel Miles Quadrich? Quaritch tries to bribe Jake with an expensive surgery to restore his legs, but in return he must betray the Navi and their location of their home tree. Over the next few weeks, Jake successfully becomes a part of the Navi people by repeatedly proving himself a formidable hunter and warrior who takes the time to understand their language and ways. He and Neytiri also fall in love as they grow closer during these weeks. All hell breaks loose following Jake and Neytiri's consummation of their relationship as an RDA bulldozer tears through Navi trees and Jake retaliates. Being identified, Administrator Parker Selfridge, who has been heading the operations thus far, orders the home tree to be destroyed in light of Jake's insolence, giving, great, giving Grace and Jake just an hour in their avatars to convince the Navi to flee. They're able to evacuate the Navi, but with severe casualties and much of their sacred home destroyed, while the humans are forcibly removed from their avatars. Grace, Jake, and their allies are momentarily captured and imprisoned by the RDA, but are able to break out, return to the Navi, and convince them to rally the clans to fight the human invaders. A war breaks out between the Navi, accompanied by Pandoran wildlife, and the humans. The Navi defeat the RDA because of their bolstered numbers, with Jake and Neytiri finally killing Colonel Quaritch and sending the remaining RDA intruders back to Earth. The film ends with Jake harnessing the power of the Navi deity Iwa and the sacred tree of souls to permanently transfer his soul from his human body to his Navi one, now permanently living inside of his avatar.
people. I mean, mm. spoilers. Jesus. Great synopsis. Spoilers <laughs> for people who have not seen Avatar. <laughs> Amazing synopsis. I nice. can feel myself being back there now amongst the the pollen of the soul tree. Take me I back. I will say I got on Wikipedia to like get some just more like structure facts. I did not know it was 2154. I just missed that. Yeah. So I went, all right, let me type that into my little, yeah, no, <laughs> little we're, we're almost there. If we can just, like, we can almost get to Pandora. I'm mm-hmm. ready to go. From May to August to 2154. Yeah. I'm ready to go. <laughs> so, you guys have an, a, something that does not seem like an advantage, but is an advantage over us in this discussion, in that you were like adults when James Cameron announced, hey, I'm going to do this movie called Avatar. So yeah. before we get into the movie itself, I want to know, when was the first time you heard the phrase James Cameron's Avatar? And what was your history from that point on? Well, I mean, I was a huge Cameron fan going back to watching Terminator on VHS um, and then obviously Aliens, the greatest sci-fi action film of all time, um, Terminator 2, saw it in theaters, loved it, Titanic, loved it. Um, and then Avatar, um, you know, when I heard it was coming and he hadn't done a movie in, you know, 12 years. Um, so it was like this wild thing. He'd been kind of whatever, spending a lot of time in, in submarines looking at the Titanic or whatever. Um, so <clears throat> then just the hype of, of this film was nuclear, right? Like lucid dreaming. It's re- like, yeah, it's yeah. real. You're going to really be into it. Uh, the 3d. So like there was this sort of the expectations were kind of impossible going into this. Um, and I saw it, you know, opening day in Corte Madera at the theater that Lucas used to have, uh, you know, their big screenings uh, for tons of people. There. It was like an amazing screen. Um, and it was, yeah, it was definitely stunning. I definitely was aware of it coming out. I'm not as big a Cameron fan, although I like all of his movies. He's just not like sort of someone who I'll pencil in things in the calendar for. Um, he, I, but yeah, the hype was real of this movie coming out. I saw this movie five times in the theater. Like into like I saw this movie at uh, like 2009 when it came out. I was working at Twitter. I was downtown. I was within walking distance of the IMAX theater in downtown San Francisco. And I went like during lunch, like one day, like I was just like, ah, I'll be back later. I got to go see this thing again. I saw it five times uh, in the theater, all in IMAX in, in San Francisco. Also it, the winter of 2009 is when I got scuba certified for the first time because I was taking a trip to Thailand with my now wife, Crystal. Um, and Cameron, of course, like famously big diver loves to go under the water, loves to dive down to very deep places. And like Avatar, the visuals in Avatar and the forest of Pandora are, are, are very much like underwater scuba diving coral reef visuals. And so it was like this really cool thing of this movie coming out and then going to Thailand and like, you know, doing all this coral diving, uh, and seeing stuff like seeing Christmas tree coral that looks like what's, you know, the stuff that's in the movie and all the stuff that like just looked like it was in the movie. Um, so yeah, I was, I totally had like the, I like, I would go see this movie and then after just feel like depressed that I wasn't in the movie. Like I, you know, like, yeah, this movie like feeling blue. Yeah. It had a huge impact, a huge impact on me when it came out. Mackenzie. I mean, I was, I think 14 when it came out and I have Mm. the worst memory. So I don't remember like where I was. I was entering high school. So probably in a terrible place. I don't know. Uh, High school sucks. And, um, but I, my only like association with James Cameron was Titanic, which I weirdly loved as a kid. Like I loved that movie growing up. And I was telling someone recently, like 
you know, we had the double VHS and I watched it constantly. And then eventually I was like, you know, 11, 12. And I was like, I'll just watch the first tape. I don't want the second part. Like I would just watch (laughs) the love story and that's it. And I would just watch the first tape of Titanic. But I don't think I associated that with like a director. I just was like, oh, this is a movie my mom owns and I like it. Um, And Was this in Memphis? Yeah, this is Memphis. Okay. Okay. And there is a movie theater in Bartlett, which is a um, like suburb of Memphis that we, my family and I always lovingly called the $2 theater. I don't know if it has another name, but basically like when films are like, Go, leaving their theatrical run they get like two weeks at the two dollar theater and the tickets are two dollars mm-hmm. and uh-huh. that's where my family saw avatar it was me my mom and my grandma we were the only three people in the movie theater i remember my mom had to take a bunch of pee breaks and my grandma went to sleep a bunch and i was sort of just like <laughs> standing up and running around and like playing and hanging out while i watched the movie uh and that was like the only time i ever saw avatar so i really wow considered wow. this more of a first watch like with my adult like you know developed a brain watching this movie because right. <laughs> i did not remember a single thing except for like the infamous you know the threads tying together which were not on the disney plus version which we will talk about uh that was the one thing that stayed in my brain was the kind of infamy of it but yeah i haven't really thought about avatar in 10 years maybe uh, since but now that way of water is coming out it's definitely in my scope more. It was very fun to watch it this week, kind of mm. for the first time. Mm. Kev, what about you? For me, I was super clued in, mega film nerd at this time, just getting into like, my favorite movies were like Pulp Fiction and like Life Aquatic, like big Wes Anderson fan, big like stereotypical film nerd in the late 2000s, checking Ain't It Cool News, you know, seeing who bribed Harry Knowles this week to write the creepiest shit ever in his 5,000 word blog posts. And I had seen Terminator 2 the summer before, the greatest action sci-fi movie of all time. And that movie changed my life. I was blown away by that. And then I heard, oh, well, he's been trying to do these movies. It's either going to be Avatar or Battle Angel. And I had heard that for years. And as we all know, he picked Avatar and then produced Battle Angel for Robert Rodriguez, a future episode of both our shows, I think. And the, the release of the movie was huge. I had to buy my IMAX ticket a month in advance for my Mm. rinky-dink IMAX, brand new in Stony Brook, New York, right by the college there on Long Island. And my brother and I went on like noon on a a Tuesday afternoon. We got like back row center because I made sure we got there an hour early. It was completely Uh. sold out. And we watched it. Like it was fine. Mm. Very That's kind it. of surface level, but I didn't think that much of it. I, I thought what a lot of people thought at the time, which is that it looked beautiful. The 3D was incredible, but the story was like, I've kind of been there. Fast forward 13 years, I go to see it at the Lincoln Square here in New York, and it's a completely different movie. <laughs> hmm. Kev is so Avatar pilled right now. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Was it was I saw it in Discord yesterday during we were watching we were watching T two in Discord and Kev was just like, "Have you heard the good word about Pandora?" And my, our, <laughs> our Lord James Cameron, who can do no wrong, his eye is pure. His his vision is unparalleled. Well, well, let's be clear. So, so I struck I struggled somewhat. Um, I Here wasn't really excited Here in the go. beginning. Here I was not, we fucking go. <laughs> I was not that excited about revisiting Avatar for a long time because when I when I saw it, the visuals were stunning. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. But I felt like the story was really weak. Um, and this is coming after Cameron, who wrote two of the greatest scripts of all time, Terminator and Aliens. 
um, like the tightest, most effective, just perfect scripts. Um, and then you got like True Lies um, and, uh, you know, like it just sort of started to feel like he was losing touch with being able to write a tight story. And I felt like Avatar was a little too black and white and not enough kind of um, mm. uh, substance. And so mm. I wasn't crazy about the story and I just sort of dismissed it. I've never rewatched it. Um, and I definitely was nervous going into the rewatch yesterday. Um, and I'll say I was pleasantly surprised uh, mm -hmm. and enjoyed it uh, a lot more than I thought. You better be pleasantly surprised. You're not <laughs> even supposed to be here. Have you heard like, the pretty good news? <laughs> you don't need I, to like horn your way in just to take a deuce on the whole situation. I think H and I are pretty you know, aligned. Like Obviously, I haven't given Avatar much thought. And I agree. I was also pretty pleasantly surprised revisiting and being like, oh, wow, this is... I thought last week we talked with King Kong how... There's a lot of good in that, but it's a very ill-paced film. Like, and that's what mm. makes it feel so clunky. And I remember th I, I texted Kevin. Twas I felt like beauty I could... that killed the beast. <laughs> I feel like I could tell, I could feel from Chicago Kev's soul like start to float out of his body. When I was like, "Wow, Avatar is really well-paced." Like, I feel like I could see, I could feel Kev yeah. beginning yeah. to uh, float above the air. Uh, yeah, I was just, and it's it's not even the love because I do feel a love here. But it's like, mm. what is it? I'm I'm like disturbed by how much I was moved by this right. IMAX. Like, is it that the visuals are that much better? Well, I watched it the other night with my girlfriend here at home, and I had the exact same visceral reaction in 2D mm -hmm. on in 1080p at home. Not even it the looks new 4K. HDR. Incredible! Like the great. the uh, in HD, it looks yeah. stunning. Not just like. The, the some of the environments like I I noted like when Jake is first landing uh, on the runway mm. there's some compositing there that doesn't hold up quite as well as it might but it still looks cool but all of the character CG work all of the environments mm -hmm. out in the forest and stuff look perfect like perfect I, I think there's something about the color palette that seduces yeah. you in particular because I think I, I just think the way in which he chose the greens and the blues and the purples like it's something about it like the it's one of the most seductive movies like you watch like i was excited to revisit this and i've been like saying a lot about like how anyone who doubts that avatar 2 is gonna do well just hasn't really followed how james cameron has performed at the box office he's clearly knows how to tell stories that people want to go see but in when i put it on i was like okay like this is gonna be a slog i got like this three-hour movie i gotta get through you know etc and so on complaints as is my normal style for having to do anything and like, it's just like, it's just so immediately like seductive. It really just, it, it captures you and you're just like, okay, like show me more of these fucking weird creatures that you've got. Like, you know, um, your, your strange purple beasts, James Cameron, I love you. It's, it, 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 it causes an emotional reaction, an attachment of sorts. I also think that themes that might have felt more black and white in 2009 feel differently now too in 2022 just based on the the major differences in in our political landscape and our society culturally uh, like you know I don't think all of the themes land in Avatar namely again I, I was mentioning to a friend yesterday I am not the person to speak on the whole like white savior storyline though I agree there's some stickiness there but the environmentalism I think not to yeah. call like James Cameron, you know, omniscient or anything, but like that theme hits a lot harder, I think, with especially how different it was already bad in 2009 and now it's just gotten worse. And so I feel like this hope in humanity and this hope of a greener future does feel more moving, I think, in 2022 than it might have felt to me, you know, 13 or so mm. years ago. 
I want to I want to talk about that thematic idea for a second because I think it is like the most uh, like relevant and fair knock on the movie, which is that like it, you know it's like okay this is like kind of just a Pocahontas story like yeah. it, it has this like white saviorism it has like it has like all those problems so I want to quote instead um, the best person in the world Jamel Bowie from oh, the, yes. the, the New York uh, from the New York Times and a whole bunch of other shit uh, who said um, who who was watching it just a few days ago on December 10th and he wrote Avatar is very much a remix of tropes you can see in movies going back a century colonialist arrogance capitalist greed environmental destruction indigenous peoples as possessing a deeper knowledge of the world but it executes them at a very high level it looks incredible one thing I have taken away from watching a lot of movies from an era where tropes are constantly used and relied on and remixed is that there really is nothing wrong with using tropes and embracing genre as long as you know why you're using them and for what purpose and i think mm -hmm. i think that's like the i think that's like the key thing here is that cameron knows what he's doing like he he understand he's using this he's using these tropes uh, like very obviously he's not disguising them. He's not presenting them as something he discovered like this concept. He's doing it as a way of presenting a familiar story that allows you to fall into this richer world. Another thing just to finish this thought is that like that, that Bowie says about, about the about the movie is that it, it feels much more like the as composed as opposed to like Pocahontas or Fern Gully or whatever. It feels a lot more like an American take on Nausicaa or Princess Mononoke, which I mm. also which to Mackenzie's point mm. about environmentalism, yeah. I think is also really I think is also really interesting. Like Princess Mononoke is, as is most of Miyazaki, a fairly simple thematic story about the struggle between the natural world and the human mechanized world, which is also the story of Lord of the Rings. Like it's a right. very common, it's a very common narrative. But you know, to to do that with uh, consciousness and intention can yield something truly special. All right, two two things just really quickly. One, Mononoke is a perfect example of doing this at a higher level of subtlety because you have the bad, you know, the, the villain of that film yeah. is a woman who has taken in all of these people who are crippled and she's just trying to protect them and that's why she's going into the forest uh, so that they can survive. So I think that's the part that, that has been dropped off. The other piece is there is one person who invented the concept of um, science fiction and ecology. Yes. And this entire movie, yes, yes. I realized as I was watching it, is a giant Dune homage. It uh, is. That's yeah, true. I mean, this is... This is our wheelhouse. Like the, the white dude, go, <laughs> the white dude goes to a foreign planet, falls in love with like a native it, lady and yeah. like their planet is being plundered for their natural resource. That is our yeah, wow. stuff. How about, how about the outsider as the prophesied one who would bring the yes. great change? Chosen yes. by Awa, right? With the floaty, yeah. the floaty, the, floaty the pollen oh. fall, fell upon him. Yeah, Boom. Jason, that's Jason's big problem with being the prophesied savior, like the pollen every time. Yeah, even I don't have enough. I don't have enough like uh, messianic Zyrtec histamine. to survive the to survive the pollen that falls on me. That is such a it's such a wild comparison because there's even the water of life element of the yeah. Navi Internet of memories and souls. Right. Yeah, totally. it's all in there. And then the worm writing as, you know, capturing the Turek and, and all of that. So you and and it ends in a giant knife fight. Yep. Yeah. So what are you like, this is our movie. Spoilers for Dune Part Two. And this is a movie that <laughs> he that H was going to hate. This is like, look how wrapped up in internal contradiction is this man, right?
There's even oh man, sorry, just to keep down the dune hole. You have a, a story that is kind of to shift the shift topics here. You have a story that has three pronged interests, right? There's the governmental mm-hmm. figure of the guy um, Giovanni Ribisi. You have the military yeah. of the Stephen Lang who doesn't care. A good Navi is a dead Navi because it means we can push yeah. forward, right? And then you have Sigourney Weaver who is in a sense kind of altruistic, but is mm-hmm. still willing to sell out in order to get what she wants. Even if, and this is more in the extended version, what she wants completely blew up and fell apart because it wasn't meant to be. Right. What extended version? In the extended version that you can't see on Disney Plus for some reason. There's about a half hour of extra scenes. And the Sigourney Weaver school, the the Grace school storyline, is made text. Huh. Mm. I kind of like it better in the theatrical where it's all like in the way that Terminator 2's exposition is all told in the back of channel while other things are going on. Like Arnold picks mm-hmm. up a baby while John Connor tells you his entire childhood and life. Right. Right. Mm. Right. Um, they do make that text in the extended. So you have these three bodies that are all fighting for something that is ultimately irrelevant because of the indigenous people. Can we can we talk about this Disney edit? situation for a second because this is new information to me can you lay it out for the people so everybody knows there's a sex scene in avatar everybody's talked about it because um unlike avatar which is the most authentic big action movie of the century you know everybody has to talk about memes right so everybody remembers jake and atiri he picks her and they mate in the uh what is it bioluminescent forest right? right and there's like a hug and some kissing and then i'm yours jake here they wake up Right. Yes. There was like a thrust of some sort, too, that made me yes, grasp that's my right. pearls a bit. Yeah, <laughs> there is a thrust. Whoa. So Whoa. in the extended version that they released on Blu-ray, they have like they take the braids and they really grossly in detail in forward in front of the frame uh, tie together. The membranes tie together. And yeah, mm. I remember that. Was that in theaters? I think that was in theaters. Right. I was expecting to see that when I was watching me the too. movie. But like me, I, I, now I don't know if this is like a real thing or not that I just invented having seen okay. before. I watched the theatrical and extended cut scenes okay, version cool. of this scene this morning. I ended Hit up me. watching an extra hour of Avatar and then all of the extended scenes because that's what this movie does to a person's brain. Yes. It's a drug, yeah. as we talked about earlier. So theatrical version on the DVD doesn't have it. Extended okay. edition obviously has it. Okay. In September, the re-release... I swear to God had it. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Interesting. Disney Plus version does not have it. The Disney, the re-release in theaters and likely that will be on 4K in the spring does also have an extra scene where Giovanni Ribisi is being arrested and he goes, you know, this isn't over to set up future installments of Avatar. Huh. So it could have been restored. When they show them mushing their braids together, you say it's like sort of like it's up against the like what does it look like? Describe it to me. It kind of looks In like extreme uh, detail, please. You are taking slowly. two two pieces of electrical wire and you are pressing them together and then they make a spark in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like that. Is there a spark? There's like these gross pink tongues coming out of the braid and they hug. Oh. Do they like moan when they yeah. like Oh do yeah. They, oh, okay. It's fucked All up. Right. It's fucked All up. Right. But yeah, I remember like I remember that in theaters and I hate that that was the one thing I remembered about Avatar. And then when people were going to the re-release and saying it wasn't there, I really thought we had all like gaslit ourselves as a society into 
forgetting about it. But like, mm. I wonder if they maybe the thought process was also maybe to make it more family friendly. But also, like, they do that with the animals. So were they yeah, exactly trying to be like, oh wait, you just put that on. thing anywhere. It's just how they get now. It's just how they get a deeper connection. Which yeah, again, to, super to the, deep to Dune, we have the in part two we'll have the spice orgy. <laughs> Um, which was yeah. homaged in Matrix Reloaded. That's but right. That's part of the thing, this concept of using spice to create a bond across a tribe um, mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. in a sexual way. I um, like, though, but that it, like to Mackenzie's point, that it's like this universal cereal like braid. Uh, I'm just going to stick it in everything. Just, yeah, <laughs> you can like, it could go anywhere. Do you think, like, on that point, do you think, like, you have to, like, do you think they often, when they try to put them together, they have to flip them upside down? You know, they, like it's, they get it the wrong way. They have to <laughs> flip the right it the other way. way and then there, somehow yeah. that doesn't fit. Good they have Lord. to flip it back again. And they do that, like, two or three times before they finally sock it. You never know. You that's how it works. No, the, the right side has the longer side. No, yeah, okay. It's just, oh okay. yeah. So you just gotta look at it, pull, look, pull it up your. What face if they're and... in a pool under a fountain uh, and yeah. gyrating a lot? Oh <laughs> Jesus! That's what I wish. The there was also on Disney Plus. I noticed a version that was the edited family friendly version that was a single minute shorter. And I'm like, mm-hmm. is that just cutting out Sigourney Weaver saying shit once? Like, what is even in that version that is a sixty seconds shorter? Kev knows. Maybe Kevin violence. I actually, I actually don't know. <laughs> I would never watch it was, it's a bastardized, a censored version of James Cameron's <laughs> vision. Um, Jay, uh, yeah, Kev is a free speech mac- maximalist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, James no Cameron comment. must be. Must be I'll say that. this. I'll say this for the Avatar sex. Talk about the only thing people remember: the bathroom line out of the IMAX after the movie, as you can imagine, was super long, and it was mm. all anyone was talking about. Fifteen people deep, all groups of people entrenched in conversation about the sex scene they took out uh, but yeah. we had just watched it right Weird. yeah yeah people we were fixated remembered. what does that mean like people like i what did james cameron do to our brains i don't we don't even know what reality is anymore it's like berenstein bears berenstein bears <laughs> but it's yeah, like exactly. the avatar sex exactly. scene exists in a schrodinger's situation the braid swap effect You may choose a woman. We have many fine women. Ninat is the best singer. Well, I don't want Ninat. Peral is a good hunter. Yeah, she is a good hunter. I've already chosen. This woman must also choose me. She already has. Can we can we just talk uh, just visually because it's such an important part about this film, and I just want to call out three people. you know, imminently involved in this. So you have the production designer, Rick Carter, who worked on Jurassic Park and Star Wars Episode Seven, um, And obviously that forest, you know, that forest reality and, and the look of that is incredible. You have John Knoll, um, who headed up special effects. He's old school 
um, you know, ILM guy and worked on Matrix uh, and stuff. But then the last piece of the puzzle, Richard Taylor on conceptual design, he was the armorer and the designer for Lord of the Rings. So that concept mm. of getting LOTR, Matrix, Star Wars, um, Jurassic Park all together into the vibe is just incredible. Mm. Good call. That's really awesome. Wow. It does feel like a mishmash. I know Jason, last night we were watching T2, you pointed out that the the kind of, I'll call them ornithopters, the smaller mm-hmm. helicopters were identical yeah. to the Cyberdyne. <laughs> yeah, the, the he, James Cameron has a type. He likes he likes a whirly bird with like a with an inc- in, encapsulated blade. Situation. But everybody bites that style. Like that's that that look has now been used a billion times by mm-hmm. by anybody who wants to yeah. make something sci-fi. But the shuttle was fucking badass. Like the huge gunship. Mm-hmm. The big uh, one was good. Yeah, and that fight left- is ridiculous. The whole the whole last third of the movie is so fucking good. I'm sorry, I don't know if we swear on this pod. Oh, but, we no, swear you do. Absolutely. with what we've so, just discussed, so, please. Constantly. it's so good like like the the just like it's just this that's that's another thing you just realize about cameron and, and it, it is meaningful having watched avatar and t2 on essentially the same night because he's just so good at relentless action like he's so good at spectacle that you you despite yourself having seen it and you kind of know what the gimmicks are or whatever you're just pulled back in to want to watch it because he's 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 amazing at relentless pace uh, like there's really there's a few directors who can escalate the stakes in an action scene like that for as long as he does and have it not be like exhausting in an Aronofsky way. Like it, it just it, it makes you want to watch more of it. Just the the goat. I think Titanic is also a great example of that. Yeah. That ability to continue action through. Like, I mean, it's, I mean. Similar to Avatar, that last hour, right, of Titanic is just the ship sinking and we all know what's happening, but the way he's able to build, continue to build uh, the relationships between the characters during all that action, the way he's able to take us through the different levels of the ship in order to create different stakes based on where the sinking is happening. And like, it is like, it, it is wild how exhilarating that last hour is. And I really loved... Um, when there was literally an hour left in the film Avatar, Giovanni Ribisi going, you got an hour, and then like slamming the thing down. Like there was such a, the structure of this movie is so tight because I was again thinking of King Kong and how kind of sloggy it can feel. But like I kept checking like the 30 minute mark, he's having his first interaction in the forest with the creature. And we know everything we Mm -hmm. need to know about Jake. We know most things we need to know about the two opposing sides of grace and the Colonel. We know like all these main characters and then we're in the action. And then, yeah, like when there's an hour left, he tells you there's one hour left and then that hour is relentless with the action. It's it's really well-structured. It's really cool. Yeah. Mm. I mean, speaking of the the characters, I I think the the cast is so great. I'm I love Sigourney Weaver. I love her so much. But Zoe yes. Saldana blew me away on this watch, especially acting through the animation. Zoe Saldana was like the standout for me uh, for this. Incredible. For this That's right. Incredible. Yeah. Just feral. And I love how she mm-hmm. conveyed that. Um, and the move, like all of her movements and everything. Um, so it's wild. So, it's, uh, you know, just a, a couple of the folks, right? Stephen Lang, obviously um, Ike Clanton in Tombstone. Um he was shredded. That guy was mm-hmm. just huge and very imposing. I thought he was he was really uh, did you phenomenal. know did you know he auditioned for aliens and didn't get it? Oh really? And then oh, years really? later, yeah, and the behind the scenes he was like, Well, I didn't get that part, but here I am. 
shit. That's yeah. awesome. He's the man. He gets so many... Everybody gets a superstar entrance in this movie from CCH Pounder on up, right? But yeah. Stephen Lang mm-hmm. gets three of them, including one where he's coming out of the shadow in the mess hall, which yeah. is his last... Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. If there is a hell, you might want to go there for some R&R after a tour on Pandora. As head of security, it is my job to keep you alive. I will not succeed. Not with all of you. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You've got to obey the rules. Pandora rules. Everybody feels like they carry so much weight. Even this otherwise, maybe on the page, a cartoon, like an Arlie yeah. Ermey caricature, absolutely comes to life thanks to, to Lenny. Yeah. Yeah. I also liked uh, Etukan, uh, who is the father, uh, played by Wes Studi, who was in Heat. Yes. He was uh, <laughs> Pacino's partner in Heat. Um, and then he was also in Hostiles, which, Jason, we have to do. That's uh, Timothy and, and Christian Bale. Oh, okay. I'm dying to see it. Like, I can't believe we haven't gotten to it yet. Um, and also, uh, Tsute is, La- is Laz Alonzo, M.M. from The Boys. Yes, that's right. M-M- who's M.M.? The big, the big dude trying to protect his daughter. Oh, mother's, mother's milk. milk. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah mother's yeah, milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's good. That's wild. I can't. I can't believe that's the same guy. I was telling Kev. Um, I don't know why my mother and my grandmother would have wanted to see Avatar, and I'm not necessarily calling his performance out as a standout. But Giovanni Ribisi is like my mom's favorite actor, and part of me really? wonders: Did my mom just know Giovanni Ribisi was in this Giov- movie? Oh, and then G- like, we gotta support we Giovanni. We gotta go see Giovanni. <laughs> we gotta go see his- uh, but it's always fun. I feel like I never see him in anything anymore, so it is always fun to see him show up. When I I was gonna get some new glasses, um, and I wanted like these nice dark glasses, and and Giovanni was Col- Ribisi was the optician. Colin Firth. <laughs> no, so Colin Firth did a movie in education, I think, where he's like mm-hmm. a professor cheating on somebody and he had like the coolest glasses in the world. Um, and I was just like, how do I find those? And somebody speculated that they were Barton Pereira. And I go to Barton Pereira's website and Giovanni Ribisi is the spokesmodel for the glasses. And I was like, oh, wow. I have been successfully t- uh, you know, targeted. I will be buying these now. Um, so that's what I'm wearing right now. These are my Giovanni glasses. They look very good. <laughs> Great. Thank you. I appreciate before we before we move on. I do appreciate the echo of Paul Reiser in Aliens that we see in Paul. Oh Reiser's yes, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. But I would I, have liked to have something more here, right? Like it's too, it's too callous. It's too like I don't give a shit. Um, you do have that moment where um, where the the colonel is like, oh, we'll have acceptable losses. You know, we'll minimize it as much as you possibly. So there's like a tiny fig leaf, but I would have liked a little bit more. It would have actually been pretty easy to do because you could have just been like, we need the unobtainium to bring back to earth because earth is dying. And like, look at these shots of people just like all these starving children. We're going to let these children Thank starve you. because we can't like float them with the Pandora rocks to food or whatever. <laughs> these babies have to float. They help, help. Or are you going to not let my baby float away? <laughs> you monster. I mean, I don't think it's obviously happening in way of water, but didn't they say in a recent interview after our four is going to earth one of the later ones is coming to earth oh brother said in a recent interview so who knows we will see the 2154 earth 
That's great. Soon. I'm excited. The, these movies years. are going to rock. I like these are going to be great movies. People are going to love them. They're going to make a trillion dollars. And anyone <laughs> who doesn't think so just isn't paying attention to like like real world evidence. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. To me, it's like a level of hubris that is very no. dangerous. They are currently tracking half a billion worldwide. I'm not saying it's not going to be a huge success. I'm saying I learned the, the lesson from Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions mm. and the video game being shot all at the same time. Mm. It is difficult to create an, a tight, coherent, super-focused story when you're trying to do five of them at the same time. That just becomes very difficult. So I'm skeptical that he will it's be difficult able to. for you, not difficult for James Cameron. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we'll have uh, to see. I will say one on Mackenzie's point about her grandmother wanting to go to this movie. Um, my mother-in-law, who actually has very good taste and interesting taste in movies, um, loves Avatar. Like it is, it is like a it's like a once a year watch for her. As far as I Whoa. can tell, like she loves this Love movie. That. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely my Avatar heads are out there. What do you all think? Because he's like the last person we haven't mentioned of Sam Worthington. Because to me, he's a blank slate in a sense that works. But also I was sitting there going like, has this guy done anything else? Because he's not necessarily the most compelling leading man to me. But James you know. Cameron just pickled him after this movie came out. I was like, I'll need you in 13 years, kid. <laughs> Isn't he in Terminator Salvation? I'm, I'm too afraid to learn I've anything never heard about of this man outside of, outside of Avatar. Yeah. I've never watched it, but I think he is. I think he is in Salvation again with Christian Bale. But yeah, I don't think he's done a ton of stuff. But I actually thought he was great in this. I liked his mm -hmm. presence. I some of the some of the voiceover stuff was a little hokey for me, um, but I thought his physical presence was good and, and uh, you know conveying doing those big speeches and stuff. I thought I thought worked. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know he's Australian. For, I'm yeah. learning just by um, looking at the internet. Right my girlfriend know, poked right through well. his accent in all of the voiceover for the entire movie. Oh, really? And oh, almost yeah. derailed the movie with like the amount of times his American accent just, just got destroyed. I never yeah. would have guessed. Yeah, he's a, he's like kind of a dud. I mean, like he's fine. It's just like it's he's not really he's he's basically is just a vehicle for James yes. Cameron's vision. Yeah. As opposed to like having to do anything like act. In the movie. He's fine. His his blank slateness gave us a new feature I'm calling Kev's wacky conspiracy theory of the week. Oh. Which, you know, no. a couple weeks ago, Big Lebowski became an economic discussion of the boomers versus Gen X versus millennials. Yes. And now I'm I'm starting to think Jake is such a blank blank slate, and he's such like a fine tropey performance of like the unassuming savior character. Is it all on I purpose? Feel like also, yeah. Are we mm. are we meant to look through this world in these very simple terms because Jake is just like a regular guy telling you this story? Is it called mm. unobtainium because it may as well be called unobtainium? Does it have some fancier name that we don't know because Jake wouldn't know? I don't know what it is. It's in the mountains. Huh. Mm. I think the name unobtainium is the cheesiest thing in the entire universe. When he said it in the most serious voice ever, I was like, really? Unobtainium? Well, that's why. I'm like, I'm like, it can't just be called unobtainium on purpose. Isn't that, um, I thought that was an existing thing before Avatar. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's always been a, it's, it's like essentially a MacGuffin. Like Wikipedia says, since the late 1950s, aerospace engineers have used the term unobtainium referring to an unusual or costly materials like it's it's always been in the um sort of like vernacular for 
just wacky substance that can't be found. Yeah. Hey, I do have to say, because uh, we haven't gotten into it yet, but you know, as soon as I as soon as I started hearing the music, like I immediately perked up because I knew it was my boy, James Horner. That's right. Oh, Horner's horns <laughs> in the house. Exactly. Oh yeah, it is good he, music. He's on fire. Um, yeah. And the 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 main Avatar theme that is used so often is so great through yeah. this. Um, and I just like, I was in heaven, uh, through that whole thing. <laughs> the yeah, main theme really is good. incredible and it's so confident too. It's like, here it is. It's avatar. It's the greatest thing you've ever seen. It lifts your spirit up before you even see a frame. Of yeah. Navi. What about the closing song? Everybody needs what one. It? Was it like the pop yeah. song, the the you know, the obligatory yeah. Oscars submit? I don't even remember it. Well, that's the thing. It it felt to me like it was like a direct, you know, going for the Titanic theme. Yes. Uh, oh. To do it again, and James Horner wrote it just like he wrote the Titanic oh, theme. Okay. What's um, it called? I don't remember. The Way of Water has one out that seemingly no one likes, so I think they're trying to do oh, it really? again. Yeah, The yeah. Weeknd recorded a new song for The Way of Water right. that everyone's Crazy. putting it on. Crazy. Uh, very old school thing. That. You know, Lady Gaga did that Top Gun one. Yeah, very yeah. But I mean, our, our, avatar, our Avatar and Top Gun, not super similar, right? They're both yeah. extremely authentic. Yes. I don't want to touch on that in yeah. a minute. Old school movies with big singles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like they're both like it's both and like both of them the thematic level is not super deep. Like you're not right. gonna you're not gonna be rewarded by plumbing the depths of like what is the meaning of all of this. But like it it's it's really the pleasure of the execution being so high. Like you're like oh like you've re- you've you've managed to tell this very complicated story like you know in a complicated world technically complicated like lots of effects lots of stuff going on you've managed to do that in a way that like is completely engrossing and it's transporting in the way that movies can be and i think particularly in like the age that we you know in the post-pandemic you know current pandemic age like of being like you know not going to the movies as much and like you know not being able to leave your house as much like being able to feel that kind of um otherworldliness is is special in both movies yeah. I joke about it a lot and I've joked about it recently on the show a lot, but that Nicole Kidman thing for me is not actually mm-hmm. a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, it is speaking to things that I feel very deeply when I go to the movies, mm-hmm. whether it's to see avatar or I don't even know what crap, whatever, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like whatever big studio <laughs> crap. 
I was surprised. Like I got like legit chills in like Mm. the third act of Avatar when the creatures show up and it's like, hey, what is with you? I was like, hey, what is with you? (laughs) Like, I I, like legit was like, oh, my God, I was, you know, not not expecting to catch feelings from the third the third act of Avatar. But there we were Um, I was like, did I don't know. I I came to it with like, I don't know. I wasn't, you know, closed off, but I was definitely like weird i was just like ready i was like okay it'll impress me if it impresses me but maybe not but like i was so mad at myself that i actually really loved the love story like i'm such a romantic at heart and i was like yeah there's no way i'll get into this but then like right there was that shot where they were flying together and she smiles at him and it is like magic because you see that moment of her maybe realizing like oh i i like really love this guy and more than i thought i did and i i just like i was really compelled by even the love story aspect of it which was what I, when I was younger and I was a young little girl, I loved that about Titanic. Like, that was like my romantic ideal growing up, even, you know, it's obviously whatever it is. Jack dies, spoiler yeah. alert for Titanic. And it's very complicated, but like, I remember seeing the way those two people like looked at each other and loved each other. And so I also am really compelled by the way James Cameron tells love stories, even though I like came to it with maybe a bit of a closed offishness about this love story it they totally got me like i was really rooting yeah. for them and like i'm really excited that in way of water we get to see where they're at 10 years down the road like what their children are like what their relationship is like like i'm actually really probably most excited about that with way of water uh so yeah i was like oh man they got me <laughs> james cameron huh. he got me can we talk about the sort of recurring where why does this movie have cultural impact uh debate so i mean it's like one of the things one of the things that comes up a lot when avatar when avatar 2 and all the avatar sequels announced is like who wants this like this isn't this movie completely disappeared from the cultural consciousness yes it was like the highest grossing film of all time but like no one talks about avatar it doesn't matter or whatever and i guess like there's an element of truth to that which is it's not star wars right like it didn't become this like ip that like people you know every you know the kids dress up as jedi every you know every you know every halloween and like you know have bed sheets and all that stuff like it did it did it that is a fair criticism like it doesn't have that same sort of enduring um like large franchise take but like it seems that that's decoupled from it being a a thing that's enjoyable to watch and that will succeed financially. I, I don't really know. How, I don't, I guess I don't really have a theory on like the, why aren't there more Navi bedsheets um, and more, you know, like the animated series and blah, 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 that you get with all the other major science fiction IP that's tar- that succeeds at an audience of this scale. I mean, um, for me, I think the difference is that George Lucas went right back into working on empire strikes back after star Wars mm-hmm. changed the world hired Irvin Kirshner and they went right to it for 1980. You know, there was no Avatar 2 in 2011 or 2012. There really was, there wasn't a cartoon. There wasn't, they did a Cirque du Soleil and Disney's Animal Kingdom, a desperately needed addition to that park that people seem to like, but it's weird because it's the only thing. Mm. There's no, again, there's no cartoon. There's no like TV project. There's no book. When did he announce... When did he announce the sequels? Because it's been a long time. Like six years uh, ago or it's, something. They've it's been, been yeah, they've been in development for forever. And I think it became such a cultural joke for a long time, too, of like, oh, these sequels yeah. are never coming out. Because literally every year we would get this, like, press release that's like, the Avatar films have been delayed three more years or whatever. And so right. I think that, like, I think that, yeah, there was a lack of maybe... Um, 
latching onto it culturally, even if it was a hugely grossing film. And and I think people did kind of forget about it. And then it kind of just became this like, oh, we're never going to see these sequels. It's kind of a mm-hmm. joke now. And like, I think that that just led to some jadedness. Cause I think I also, I mean, I haven't thought about Avatar in like 13 years. So like, I, you know, I was one of those people that I'm like, I'm pretty mid on this. It doesn't matter. But again, I watched it, was pleasantly surprised by it and excited to see the new one on Saturday. And I think a lot of people are having to have that come around of like, sure, I didn't think about this for this amount of years. And sure, maybe it's not as culturally impactful, quote unquote, as other films. But like, I think a lot of people are having to come around to the fact that like, it's kind of exciting that it's coming out. And like, I wonder if another thing about that is children too. Like, I mean, I was 14. This thing went straight over my head, clearly did not make it that much of an impact. Whereas Star Wars, I feel like, did relate to kids, even maybe inadvertently. And I just feel like maybe Avatar is really dense. And because it didn't have, like, that teen kid audience, maybe that's why there was a lack of merchandising around it. And that that's the difference between it and Star Wars, I guess, if we're comparing those apples and oranges. But, yeah. The, it's. I was just looking up when was Avatar 2 announced. And Avatar 2 was announced a month less than a month after the release of avatar one that's january right. 7th yeah. january 7th 2010 so 12 he said years that, ago yeah he said there was going to be and then like and then he said in august in august of 2010 he said avatar 2 and 3 will be filmed back to back like he he was like all in from the beginning and then in in uh as early as uh as as early as 2010 still he was basically like i'm only in the avatar business now like this is actually a quote from may of 2012 he said it's like not just avatar this is from a vulture article not just avatar 2 and avatar 3 now james cameron has an avatar 4 in store it's he says he's avatar only literally he says quote i'm not interested in developing anything i'm in the avatar business period that's it i'm making avatar (laughs) 2 avatar 3 and maybe avatar 4 and i'm not going to produce other people's movies like he's like as early as 2012 was just like this is it i am all in on this so it just took him a really long time i guess to operationalize the sequels for some reason I mean, I agree with Kev. Can you imagine if, like, Avatar 2 came out, like, two, three years after Avatar 1? Like, I really think it, it's a matter of, um, pro- I don't know, propulsion. I can't think of the word. It's it's just a matter of, like, he gave us a lot of momentum. time to forget about yeah. it. Momentum. Yeah. I think that maybe yeah. the yeah. momentum was lost. And if he maybe after Way of Water, in two years, we get Avatar 3, I think that'll really help with the cultural build the, the, of these films. No, they shot, they already shot two and three so and, good. like, half of four. Yeah, so, so hopefully like, yeah. we get I mean, three sooner, and that will be a you know a, a positive for the series. But I do th- I agree with Kev. Like maybe it just it took too long. We all forgot, kind of. I mean, I don't mean to point fingers. <laughs> I don't mean to point fingers. I don't mean to draw this franchise into this conversation at all. But oh, a boy. year and a half before Avatar comes out, a movie comes out called Iron Man. And then a month later, a movie mm. called The Incredible Hulk. And then two years after right. that, Iron Man 2. And then the next year, Thor and Captain America, the first Avenger. And then the year after that, the- Avengers. And then the year after that, and then the year after that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. we also live in a world where our nerd we IP, we're inundated. Yeah. We get 10 weeks of Game of Thrones a year, right? 10 hours mm. of that a year. We get 10, we get eight Lord of the Rings a year now the hobbit comes out you know what i mean like we live in a world where we're inundated by ip constantly avatar 
and I'm, I'm just off the top of my head trying to think. Avatar is really one of the few major genre IP that is not constantly mined, right? Like yeah. Willow mm-hmm. has a series now. Well, let me just say, let me say I was actively pissed uh, after I saw the film that I loved visually, but because of the story, I was, and as soon as he announced that he was going to do two and three and four and five, like I was just pissed at Cameron. And that was mm-hmm. part of why I didn't want to revisit it because again, the hu- the hubris, in the run up to this, you know, because I felt like I was being excluded and I had to jump on the Avatar train <laughs> for ADP, not only did I get excited about watching this movie again, I bought tickets for Friday uh, in IMAX in San Francisco to go see Way of Water uh, with my daughter. Um, so, like, I'm all the way back in now. Uh, and I really enjoyed the hell out of that. And I can't wait to watch the movie on Friday. Like, it's going to be mm-hmm. it's going to be awesome. We are going tomorrow night for showing 7.15 here in New York. I'm shaking. I'm shaking. So, yeah, how does everybody feel? How does everybody feel on Avatar 2? I don't know when I'm going to get to see it, I guess. I'm going Uh, Saturday. It might be a while for me. (laughs) Might have to catch that one later. By the time time our fans are hearing this, three-fourths of the panel will have seen it. Mm. Yeah, I'm jealous. But yeah, you know, this is a year where... The theatrical experience has really come back, right? It kicked off last fall, of course, with Dune Part 1 in a lot of ways. Tom Cruise brought a more general audience back with the amazing Top Gun Maverick. Everything everywhere all at once in the art house space really deserved that bigger screen. Jordan Peele's Nope. We're having more and more of these speedboat in a bathtub experiences again. I think Avatar 2 will kick off another round of that. It'll be even bigger next year, in my opinion. A lot of people are saying that Dune... Uh, revitalize the theater going experience for the entire industry that Bless enabled you. Avatar 2 to exist. A lot of people have said that. Bless you, Dan. It's true. I think it's, it, I, I think it's interesting. I had an opposite experiment, uh, experience. Um, mm-hmm. I went to see Bones and All recently and through this entirely beautiful film, you know, with this haunting score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, I could hear the explosions from the theaters to the left and mm-hmm. right of me. Yep. Um, so I have come to the realization that basically I'm only going to be going, like I'm the, the worst fear. Like I'm only going to be going to the IMAX, you know, 500 seat, uh, you know, giant thing where I can be sure I'm going to get the maximum experience and not have to listen to some other movie. Otherwise, I'll just watch it at home. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I famously is... had a terrible tar experience recently because it was me and two oh. old women who were Statler and Waldorf the whole movie. Oh, uh, no. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, like, no. I'm aching for a home watch so that I can, like, not have anyone oh, talking no. and, like, feel it. But, yeah, like, that's also the, the, the risk with with you know but then i but then i went to the batman and dolby and like my bones were shaking when the batmobile revs up and i'm like all right this is why we come to the movies spider-man no way home same thing i did mm-hmm. see it in imax and it was a packed theater and that was an incredible experience like just sobbing uh you know <laughs> with 400 people uh, for 45 minutes was pretty awesome is there some like insane yeah. like 4d version of avatar 2 coming out where like they That's like spray right. neurotoxin in your face so not only do they spray the neurotoxin in your face there's a version that has like <laughs> 30 like two giant curved screens around the one flat screen in front of you as well Oh my God! Your face and just gets stroked by a tail. Like exactly, a like you're physically <laughs> oh in Avatar in three D, three D, forty X, forty five frames a second craziness. You have to be, you have to be plugged in in order. Have to... there been any reports about that? By the way, the HFR, like, because it did not look good in the Hobbit. It uh, looked like soap opera, like motion smoothing. It's variable. So in the underwater sequences and other key action beats, it'll be forty five. Uh, okay. I don't know anything. I don't think AMC's here are doing it. 
which is a shame because AMC is the home of the biggest IMAX screen, uh, certainly Mm. in town, if not the Northeast, if not the country. I forget the stats on that. The the one in, the one in Manhattan is like three feet bigger than the one in San Francisco, but there's now one in God Georgia age. or North Carolina or something that is the new mm. biggest yeah. uh, IMAX in America. Even so, big screen. Wow. But I don't know. I will report back on that on this show next week when we do the Way of Water mm. on how that right. works out. I have one other thing that hasn't been discussed, and it's kind of a it's kind of a cliche, but do the it. papyrus thing is is questionable like oh it, yes. it is a detail it is a detail that stood out to me and obviously it's because of the gosling snl skit like you know yes. that i'm all timer but all-timer. like like as the movie was showing and the subtitles come out like wait is the subtitles are it's papyrus too like yes that's yeah. right can i ask you something though hard. yeah you remembered that from the snl sketch right and the snl sketch was joking about avatar that giant piece of pop culture whose footprint indented in your mind the papyrus exactly i do think that snl sketch brought avatar back for a lot of people like a lot of people going oh my god i haven't thought about that in years uh yeah so snl really the best advertising (laughs) so guys let's go around we'll do guests first and then us if you can give us your final thoughts and then maybe a star rating out of five i know you guys phased that out but no, I'm happy to do it. Go with your heart. For this pod, for this I wonder pod why. only. <laughs> I will not rate things for H, but I will rate things for you. Congrats. Um, I think this is a five-star movie. I wow! think this is I, I think this is a movie. <laughs> I think this movie, like the all the stuff, all the stuff that's not on the screen notwithstanding like oh what was its culture imprint the delays with avatar 2 james cameron's a big weirdo yada 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 i don't think if you put this movie on for me if i put this movie on i didn't know this until i did it to watch it for this pod i i feel something i just don't feel with most most movies like like i i just feel immediately drawn in compelled i want to watch more of it like when i was watching the end of it it was after we did the Terminator 2 screening last night and I was very tired because I had traveled yesterday and I was exhausted. Like I had gotten no sleep the night before and I, but I couldn't turn it off. Like I was expecting only like, you know, I was like, all right, we'll see if I can make it through another whatever of this movie. I just could not turn it off because like the last act of the movie is so good. It, it is, it is like a drug. It pulls you in and does something to your brain. And like, I don't know what the list of movies are that, do, that do that. There are other movies I like more, but there are not many movies that have that kind of effect on me that I can think of. So five-star movie, James Cameron is a god, Avatar 2 is going to make all the money, and I'm going to dress up like a Navi for Halloween. I'm going to be Jake Sully for Halloween. Boom. I was an Avatar three-star when I saw it in the theater, and on watching it this time, I am definitely four stars for Avatar. Um, I think it's not perfect. It has areas where it could definitely have improvement, but I think it is just spectacular uh, viewing and... um, yeah, it was a real it was a real thrill to revisit and I can't wait to see Way of Water. For me, as I said before, saw the movie when it came out, totally nonplussed by it. Probably if I rated things at that time three, three and a half, right? Four and three D. I walked mm. out of the re-release like, wow, this movie was amazing, but could it translate to the home? Sunday night, my girlfriend and I put this on, you know, to get ready for the new one and to watch for this show, and I stood up the entire first hour of the movie. I was so exhilarated. I couldn't believe how well this movie translated at home for me. 
And it's a testament to the power and the hypnotic power of Avatar that I was just digging around for the sex scene for a laugh in this episode. And then I watched 45 minutes of this movie and the 33 minutes that were cut for the extended edition. So absolutely no doubt in my mind now, safely say five stars for Avatar for me. Mm, Um, Just on every level. The fact that it even invites crazy analysis. The way that he carries over his expositional style from Terminator 2 perfectly, I just mm-hmm. I feel enveloped with love for Avatar uh, for the last three months in secret, and now it can be told. Uh, I'm, I'm so obsessed. happy for you. I'm, I'm obsessed. I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm grateful we were here to witness this uh, <laughs> moment in your life. I am obsessed. Uh, it is also, I will waiting. say, the most genuine, the most genuine movie of its size of this century, possibly of all time. Uh, in, a, in an era of films that, again, I don't want to bring any certain franchises into this, come off as maybe a little more cynical to me and a, a lot more self-hate hate for uh, whatever, self-hating uh, to make money. So <laughs> five stars for Avatar. Kev is going to get sniped by Kev Feige. He's like, he's just going to get absolutely murked walking down the street. We could have it all, Kevin. Give me a call. I'm, yeah, I'll, all know. the Kevs. All the Kev, Kev Harmony. Mackenzie, final thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with H that it, like obviously it has some of its problems and I don't know. I don't have like a nostalgia factor for it. I f- definitely feel like this felt like a first watch. And uh, but yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised by how like it was just an entertaining watch. Like it wasn't a movie that at this moment I'm necessarily feeling very like intellectual about. It was just fun to watch. It was cool to see. Uh, I'm, I said last week I wasn't a huge like all CG scene person, but like so much of this looked gorgeous. There was a moment where like Natiri has a bit of sunlight on her face and you can see the texture of her skin on her nose, the little like kind of bumpiness mm. of like, an, and I was like, mm-hmm. that is insane. The level of detail. And you're right, Kev, there's just so much love poured into this. That is so genuine that it's, it's hard to like, it's hard to not be pulled into it. Like the, the romance and the, the love for this world and the love for nature. It's, it's hard not to be pulled into it. So I agree. I'm also at four stars for Avatar. Wow. Mm. Not bad. Not bad. I was not expecting to be at four stars for Avatar, but I don't know. Why yeah. not? I open mind, open heart. Here I am. It's oh. a Christmas movie. It's a time. <laughs> it's a time to feel. It's a time to feel connected. We're letting our tail tendrils entwine with one another as you know, <laughs> It's. Uh, I feel it. I don't know if you. I feel it through this through this intermediated experience. <laughs> I love Transformed. it. Transformed. All right, that's Avatar, and now it's time to do our little show. Are you ready? Mm. Mm-hmm. I love gold. This is I love gold. It's our segment where we list the awards and accolades won by Avatar. Uh, not all of them, because there are many. Because this movie fucking rocks. Now. Yeah. If you recall, the 2009 Oscars honoring film from 2008, there was a bit of a controversy because Heath Ledger won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for The Dark Knight. But people were Uh like, but why wasn't The Dark Knight in for Best Picture? This is why we don't give a shit about the Oscars anymore because you never nominate movies people have seen, etc. And so they opened it up. They said 10 nominees and Avatar was one of those 10 nominees. The other nine, The Blind Side, District 9, which is another genre standout, and Education, which we talked about earlier on this show, Inglorious Bastards, a movie I got my learner's permit to see. I didn't get it to drive. I got it to see Inglorious Bastards. Uh, Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Mm. The Coen Brothers, A Serious Man. Up. Mm. And the first movie that, when I went and showed my ID, I felt like an adult. Up in the Air, the Jason Reitman with George Clooney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
The winner, of course, was The Hurt Locker, directed mm. by Cameron's oh, own ex-wife, Catherine Bigelow. Wow. Mm. Sorry, his ex-wife Scandal. beating him <laughs> at the Oscars is kind of, <laughs> yeah. kind of epic. Awesome. All right, Catherine Bigelow. That's great. Bigelow, Bigelow. I like that movie. Great movie. I like that movie. Yeah. I love that. Man, the ending of that movie has stuck with me for the 13 years since release mm. where he's in the supermarket and he just can't, just can't do yeah. it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Elsewhere on the Academy Awards. Now, Avatar tied the Hurt Locker for most nominations with nine. Cameron lost mm. to Bigelow in Best Director. Uh, James, James Horner lost to Michael Giacchino for Up in Best Original Score. Now, mm. granted, Avatar is a great score, great score. but yeah. doesn't have that Up first is... nine minutes of Up. Yeah, up is pretty strong. I, I, think got, yeah. I think I gave it to up. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. Hurt Locker also beat Avatar in best sound editing and mixing, which I thought was interesting, but wow. that seems wild. Mm-hmm. Catherine Bigelow probably was high on life after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Leaving all these awards in her hands and her, her ex-husband. Especially audience. after wow. the last time Cameron was up there, he won best director and he said, I'm the king of the world. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Exactly. Avatar did pick up Best Art Direction and Best Cinematography, which we didn't talk about. But I love mm. the handheld cinematography that really makes all of this CG stuff feel authentic. Mm-hmm. I think Maro that's like... Maro Fiore, who did The Island, Real Steel. Yes, I love Real features... Steel. I've never seen it, but the story is by Dan Gilroy. He also oh, wow. did Runner Runner and Spider-Man No Way Home mm. that we talked oh, about a minute ago. That's right. I love, man, that handheld does half the work for me in my brain to process Looks the really world. great. Uh, it should come as no surprise. Best visual effects was also a win for Avatar and it lost yes. to The Hurt Locker in terms of editing, which is a shame because it's such a well-paced film. It is mm. a really well-paced film. Uh, let's see. British Academy Film Awards. They won Best Production Design and Visual Effects. The Broadcast Mm. Film Critics Award, which, talk about a dying art. Broadcast Film Critics on the 11 o'clock news. Gene Shalit. We never knew ye. Oh, my God. Won Best Action Movie, Art Direction, Cinematography, Editing, Sound, and Visual Effects. Most, as you can imagine, of the awards won were technical. But Mm. James Cameron won Best Director, and the movie won Best Film Drama at the Golden Globes, which is, of course, a sham. So <laughs> take that for what you will. The Golden Globes are a complete But it must sham. have made it must have made losing the director Oscar like the more kind of because he probably thought he had it sewn up then. I know. Yeah. Who who won the DGA award that year? DGA yeah, I feel like award. it's Golden Globe DGA SAG. Uh, but Critics' Choice, I feel like those are the big precursors for a director. Let's take a look. Cameron obviously nominated for best director. Uh, oh, this is interesting. He lost to Catherine Bigelow for the Hurt Locker. Okay. <laughs> At DGA? All right. Yeah. Oh, God. Right. The next I mean, year also... was the King's Speech. Mm. Mm. Moving on. Yeah, Bessie, it, it also makes sense to me in terms of the narrative. Not only was Catherine Bigelow obviously very talented, but was. She's still alive. She's very talented. But she was the first woman to ever win. When I, I just looked it up to make sure I was right on that. But that was That's probably right. also yeah. like... We could make history tonight if we did this. And I'm sure that's a huge incentive for people is like, not only did she direct the shit out of a movie, but it's also history making uh, awards. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that was also a huge pull for people. It's also yeah, a movie that's sure. very political and very current about its effects mm-hmm. on our veterans, which Avatar does also touch on. I will say there is a bit of that, like, what did we do this for? But 150 years later in Avatar, yeah. but not quite as incisive yeah. as the uh, bomb diffusers of the Hurt Locker. Fair. Uh, finally, I guess I'll call out the Kids' Choice Awards, one of my favorites to call <laughs> out. 
Uh, Nateri and does Jake. Does someone get slimed at this one, or is that like a different thing? This is the one where if you win, you go up there, you say thank you, and you get slimed. That is correct. Mm. Is it? Yes. Oh, okay, great. Uh, Nateri and Jake were nominated slimed. for Cutest Couple. They lost. Nice. And Saldana also lost for Favorite Movie Actress. So not a successful Damn. night. The favorite movie, we're going to find out right now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so nosy. Who was the cutest couple in 2009? Uh, okay. In 2009, Twilight. It was Twilight. It was, it was mm, Team Jacob. Yep. It was Taylor Lautner and Kristen Stewart that won. Not there's no not chance. Team Edward. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Team wow. Edward was nominated. Causing drama. That's not right. enough abs. The other nominee Edward's of the four. Abusive. That's a bad relationship. She shouldn't be. She shouldn't be with Edward. I mean, like it's ridiculous. There you go. You you heard it here from Dune Pod. <laughs> Team Jacob all the way. The other nominee yeah, was Jason's future boss, Brock and Michelle Obama. For what? For cutest For couple. Cutest couple? <laughs> oh, cutest. <laughs> they're couple. not even in a movie. They're just human beings. What? I mean, they're cute. Can you? They if are I very was, cute. If I was one of the Obamas, I would never ever let people forget. Like, yeah, we were we were nominated aside Jake and Natiri. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> during the 2009 yeah. KCA. Jason, I have actually have a question on this subject. Okay. If Brock and Michelle were to win cutest couple on Kids Choice Awards with you as digital chief, how yeah, would you would execute that? Sure. You'd go? Oh, hundred percent. We would do the shit out of that. If it was up to me, like if we knew that they were gonna win, oh my god, that's gold. Like absolutely. Do they get slimed? Yes. That's gonna be hard with Secret Service. I was gonna, gonna, gonna say, like, difficult. the Secret Service is gonna have to take samples that's and like difficult. check check. That's the not slime. gonna work. He's not gonna be slimed. He's not gonna be slimed. <laughs> Uh, so that's I Love Gold. I have, I have nothing that could top that. Nothing. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Let's move on now to the Alan Parsons Project. This is our very quick, uh, just a brief couple of connections that tie Avatar to the Austin Powers series. Obviously, mm. the most obvious link, Mackenzie and I were on a Dungeons & Dragons call with friends we made for the 70mm podcast, joking about the cast and crew of Avatar when... We pivoted mid-sentence to Austin Powers, and then by the end of the night, Mackenzie had art and a theme song, and <laughs> from the seeds of Avatar came the wow. beautiful tree of Austin Danger Podcast. Literally, it's what started. Wow. It's the will of Awa. That's right. It's the will <laughs> of Awa. That's why we're here today. Brought us together. I love that. Amazing. Beautiful. It's the way of Ira Glass. Yeah. Uh, next biggest link, of course, is Stan Winston and his amazing workshop. They brought Whoa. Fat Bastard to life, and they also helped bring the world of Avatar to life in kind. Mm. Um, mm. Of course, we all know they worked on a bunch of stuff. You guys have covered Aliens, T2. Galaxy Quest, The Thing, T2, and so on. I could go all day. Uh, our friends at this Hollywood Studio Symphony return, Mackenzie, they play on everything there because they're go. the go-to studio symphony when you need to <laughs> do a score. Uh, nice. Also in the music department, Maria Newman, who returns to us from the cursed La La Land here in the Sacred World of Pandora, and also worked on mm. Independence Day Resurgence. Any Ind- Ind- Independence Day two takes, you guys? Never saw. I it. haven't seen that one. Did I that dare come out not. Theaters or was that like a film strip? It was a Roland Emmerich directed big blockbuster sequel with Jeff Goldblum and everything. No Will Smith. Uh, no Pullman. I cannot I confirm. Pullman had passed on by that point, maybe. I cannot confirm. <laughs> uh, another returning connection, Gary Burrett, who cuts negatives, which is a vitally important thing to do when your movie is oh, shot with great. film at all. That's... Big Spielberg veteran, so Jurassic Park Minority Report, and one of my most anticipated episodes, War Horse, one of the mm. most needed films in the century. Finally, I do want to call out Keith Campbell in the stunt department, who was Paul Dano's stuntman on The Fablemans. 
You remember all those intense physical actions when he was explaining how a computer works to his bored I, family. Oh my God. Um, that was Keith Campbell, who also worked on That's The Matrix Resurrections, right. Men in Black, and The Ring. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. Good. That's great. We love it. So there you have it. And you know what? That's our little show. That is all we got for this week. What a great, what a great movie. I'm so glad that you had us on to talk about it. I'm very excited for Avatar 2. Uh, I even more so now that we've managed to walk through this movie together, uh, mm. would have been nice to have a more intimate gathering of maybe just three hosts on a podcast, <laughs> but you know, it's fine. It's fine to have more boxes in a head box heads and boxes and talk to more people, I guess. Um, I so have yeah. someone in solidarity with me with a four star <laughs> avatar rating. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, and Jason, don't worry. We'll be together tomorrow recording for another two hours. Oh, that's uh, for, great. For our Terminator 2 James Cameron Fest. Woo. That's great. Yeah, that's right. That's I guess I guess the next Doompod episode, Three Days of the Condor is out. And then next mm. Sunday night, you guys will be dropping Terminator 2 Judgment Day with Ryan Connell. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Be amazing. And there's going to be some hot uh, House of the Dragon talk uh, in that. So I can't Ooh. wait to hear about that's right. season one uh, and you know, sort of what his experiences were there. But then obviously we did Terminator with him. We did Aliens with him. So mm. and Tombstone for the Michael Bean factor. That's right. Um, and T2 obviously had the Michael Bean scene that was cut out from uh, the theatrical edition. So we'll be covering that as well. That's right. Ooh. That's right. So that's Doom Pod every Sunday night. Again, if you're not listening to them, it's like this for another two to three hours, depending on how much poker is discussed. It's yeah. a whole lot of fun. We love it. And yeah. We're grateful. We're grateful, Kev, for you calling in and being a part of Doom Pod and calling in every week and leaving questions. That's very, it's a, it's made it a much better podcast and much more fun time. Well, I get a new bolt burst of energy whenever we get to the questions. I feel like I can, I'm going to make it uh, to the end of another seven-hour recording session. Once we once again, yes, it's Kevin's it question. The sound yes. Yeah, you know, I love it. It started out as like a goof, and then somewhere I hit gold around the time H said that he was a Studio 60 fan, which I was as well yes. for the record. Yes. And it was then that I knew that maybe there might be something here. Studio and uh, something. it's just Studio been so much fun. Studio 60 revelation, which broke me. Which, which, who was the guest on that episode? I was, it was on the episode I was on. Mulholland Drive. Yeah, it was was my first episode. Because I remember I had to Google what that was. I was like, what What is this? That was the first big. I think Cloud Atlas might be the first one with the sounder, but Mulholland Drive is where it all started. And now Mm -hmm. here we all are again. Mm. Thank you guys so much for having us. Of course. What a treat. What a treat to be on your main feed. What a blessing for you guys to come. It's so great. We love Dune Pod. We love, thank you for giving me a platform mm-hmm. on Dune Pod with the questions. And it's just great. Mm. Everybody go there. Remember, real listeners of Dune Pod listen to the whole thing, including the letters. So <laughs> keep that yes. in mind. Yes. yes. Now, for our listeners, next week we will be talking about Avatar The Way of Water. By the time you listen Whoa. to this, by the time you're hearing this on Monday morning, the hosts of Austin Danger Podcast will have seen the movie. But that's us. And if you want to talk about Avatar The Way of Water, if you want to talk about Avatar, if you want to talk about King Kong, if you want to talk about my best friend's wedding from six months ago, if you finally got to our election episode, which could really use some support and have comments Mm. on that, you can email them in text or in an MP3 shorter than 90 seconds, please, to austindangerpodcast at gmail.com. And you will hang out with Mm. us on the show. You will hear me say something like, there you are, you're over there, because I didn't get to do an Austin impression this week. 
<laughs> so that's next week, Avatar The Way of Water. But until then, for Mackenzie and Dune Pod, this is Kev. Boston Danger Podcast, peace! If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.